once came another man who... Style of tall. Go ahead. I'll be honest. I, I played a very high standard. Young, a superstar. Give some lessons. Determination. Was extremely Welcome to the Chess Underground. Eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical moments. And I felt be down in flames. My style. My style skills. I only do so. From a distance. Welcome back to the Chess Underground. Uh, we're here for the May episode with Merritt Thorpe, National Tournament Director and FIDE National Arbiter, who I will allow to introduce herself. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Merritt Thorpe. Pete already told you my TD titles. I am active in all sorts of ways in chess um, since about, really since about 2001. I have led a scholastic club. I've been a scholastic coordinator for my town. I volunteer, you know, locally, and uh, I run a local chess club. I organize local tournaments. I have, having continued to volunteer for the Illinois Chess Association, I serve on a committee for U.S. Chess, and I organize and direct tournaments for other, with and for other organizers so i'm active in a lot of ways <laughs> <laughs> it, it really sounds like it and you know merit i'm curious with as much um investment as you have you know with your time and in, into chess what sparked your interest you know what sent you on the path of becoming a tv and and involving yourself in the game in this way it's if I went all the way back, it started when my now 24 year olds went to chess club at their grade school in kindergarten in 2001. Okay. Um, and I volunteered at the club because I didn't want to send them off to school early without going with them. They were so little. <laughs> that's, um, that's a good reason. Yeah. And I, gradually got interested in what they were learning and somebody at the club i think it was a parent volunteer showed the kids the two rook checkmate and something for me just quit it was a revelation to me i knew how the pieces moved i had known how the pieces moved since i was little but i don't think i ever gave much thought to the systematic patterned nature of chess so that dawned on me, and I was I was kind of hooked. The, the rolling barrels got you. The, you the, the rolling rooks, yes. <laughs> um, and then what got me into being a tournament director was um, I. Have you ever heard of Tom Doan? I have. Yeah, I believe yeah. he is the current head of the ratings committee, if I'm not mistaken. He is the current head of the ratings committee. He's an Evanston resident, and he's also the fellow who developed and, and continues to develop and market the WinTD pairing software. Okay. Um, and he was the backroom tournament director for our local scholastic tournaments, which I used to bring my daughters to. Um, and at some point, you know, I was 
volunteering with their chess club and getting more and more active in, in their club and in, in organizing that and, you know, hanging out at the tournaments, doing nothing, just waiting for them to be done with their rounds. And at the, some the point, life of a chess parent, right? Hanging out the, at the tournaments, doing the, nothing. <laughs> the life of a chess parent. Yes. And the way we solve the problem of over-involvement is we find something to do. So I approached Tom Doan and said, hey, you know, what you're doing on the computer, I would like to learn that. Um, You know, this is something I've been doing since I was about 18 years old, approaching people and saying, see what you're doing on the computer? I want to learn how to do that. (laughs) So Tom taught me how to use WinTD to pair and enter results for these unrated chess tournaments. And that would have been about, I don't know, 2004, 2005. Okay. So I was actually an unrated backroom tournament director, first of all. And uh, I met, I, I met and made a great friendship with a fellow named Tom Sprandle. Um, we're still very good friends. And he was, I met him at a library program in Evanston and ended up really liking his style with the kids. And I hired him to tutor one of my daughters and ended up hiring him to work at Dewey Chess Club. And he and I were talking about, gee, you know, there's a lot of scholastic chess in Evanston, but we really need an adult club. Right. Um, so how about we, you know, it wouldn't it be nice if we could find a space and start an adult club? Well, I had some connections at the local senior center, and I contacted uh, the woman who was the program coordinator there, and I said, hey, you know, could we get a room once a week? And she said, sure, we'd be happy to have you. We'll sponsor your group. So that was how Evanston Chess Club started in 2007. You know, it's and, I'll just say from my personal experience, anyone who gets their chops starting out running uh, Chicago area scholastic chess events, you know, that. <laughs> That's some serious business right there. Well, these are these are a little bit off the map because okay. it, this is strictly in Evanston, um, unrated. It's it's something we do for the within the school district for our own students and for basically either students who go to the uh, to go, either go to school in Evanston or live in Evanston. So it is sure. it is really off the map and not kind of part of the general scholastic u.s chess rated system but it was it was a it's like our ayso of chess okay that we have for kids in town um meaning it's like american youth soccer organization everybody plays you know right right kind of thing um and it's great um i've really enjoyed it and i'm still involved in that i am now three times out of four the the backroom director for about 240 players wow um yeah so up to 240 but um anyway getting back to the, the adult kind of club. Now, is, story, this, is this the same adult club and i apologize for interrupting is this the same one that nowadays runs the evanston three by threes yes it is okay. it is we've we've Ran our first tournament in two thousand May two thousand and seven, so I guess that's thirteen years ago this month. Um, we had seven players, and uh, the funny thing about that was, I knew how to use WinTD and do a pair on the computer. Tom is quite a bit older, or a bit older than I am, and uh, 
knew how to use pairing cards. And I said, oh, I'll just bring the computer and pair it. <laughs> and Tom said, oh, I better bring pairing cards as a backup. And, and I sat down and I paired the thing and he never brought his pairing cards again. <laughs> um, so, I'm kind of old school too. I, you know, the first two or three events I directed were all done with pairing cards. But our last right. guest, who is uh, also, I believe, an NCD and a, and a, and a FIDE arbiter, um, Bill Bill Brake, he he has never used pairing cards once, which kind of surprised me. Yeah, I haven't really used pairing cards either. I think I might have used them once when I was taking a TD test, but that would have been it. Um, yeah, so I we started running those tournaments, and the thing, the the gimmick on those tournaments was we just wanted something that was low cost and relaxed and high quality um, atmosphere, you know, quiet, um, limited in size, um, well run, but not expensive. And, you know, we had the space that we could use at the Levy Center. So we were running $5 chess tournaments. Wow. Yeah, and they became very popular, and some other clubs in the area copied our format, and we said, yeah. "Hey, you, you go ahead." You know, <laughs> um, and it, it became popular there for a while. Um, and at this point, I'm running those well when we're not in quarantine. I'm running them every other month, and I alternate formats between uh, um, the three by three, which is three rounds of game sixty, and uh, four round game 40, both, yeah. both formats with a five second delay. So, right. and they're very popular. We have a following. We generally fill our space and, uh, it's, it's been very rewarding. People really like them. It's it, you know, people go, they play good chess. Um, some people ask me what the prize is and I would say, <laughs> that's my favorite part. Yeah. Sorry. To yeah. Your, your, your prize is, your prize is three or four quality rated games of chess. And <laughs> that's my favorite you know, that's part of the TLA because you know yeah. I see that 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 quote is actually advertised when you submit the tournament announcement to IllinoisChess.org, USChess.org. It'll say you know prizes three or four <laughs> quality games of chess. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Which I appreciate exactly. as as a chess coach and player and, and director myself. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, and and. One of the gratifying things is we have had people make expert or make master at our tournaments, um, which is really pretty cool. You know, I take that as a compliment that somebody who's right on that edge, right on the bubble, will you know risk themselves to come to our tournament and move to the next level. It's it's really cool to help make that happen. So, so yeah, and then I don't know from there. Um, it's hard to become a senior TD. I, I think, if I recall correctly, you have to get 10 sections or tournaments where you had 50 or more players. Correct. And yeah, and you've got to either be the chief of that section, or I think for there are some you know substitutions allowed where it's like you can be section chief under a, a certain level TD, that sort of thing. Correct, and it took me forever because my three-round tournaments didn't count it has to be a four round tournament. Right. Right. Yeah. That's the other thing. There's oh, the round requirement yeah, too. That's right. So it took me a long time to become a senior TD. And then once I became a senior TD, 
I started working a fair amount in some of the larger Illinois scholastics. Like I would go down to Bloomington Normal and work the K-8. And I worked the K-8 for years when Glenn Panner has run it in uh, um, Schaumburg. And gradually accumulated enough of those, I think they're category B tournaments that you need to be take the ANTD test. Yeah. And it seemed to take forever. Um, and then, of course, there are other requirements like the round rob, the high rated round robin, which I'm not sure if that requirement still exists. I think they relaxed the rating requirement a little bit, if, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. I think that it has been relaxed a little bit. Well, I decided just for fun, since I, I, I have, I'm blessed to live in the Chicago metro area and we've got a lot of strong players. And I had a space I could use, so I set up a dual-rated two two eight-player round robins, invitationals, dual-rated, U.S. Chess and FIDE, Game 3, Increment 2. And I think the average rating of each of the round robins was something like, I don't know, Somewhere north of 2,000. Now, now, did you say game three, increment two? Game three, increment two, so yes. So this, this is a they, blitz round robin. They were blitz round robins. That is ambitious. Allowable. <laughs> that is allowable, yes. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, it was, it was fabulous. I mean, we had 16 people in a room and um, some really strong players. And, and our, our average rating was somewhere north of... Uh, um, 2000 and uh, yeah, it was fun. I would some one of these days I'm going to do it again just for laughs, but yeah, that does sound fun. I next time you do it, let me know. I, I'd, I'd <laughs> I love will, to hop into one I, of those. I will do that, yeah, yeah. Um, they enjoyed it a lot. So. I find you know, in my experience, blitz events are more difficult to TD. What's your impression? Is it is it the length of a standard, you know, regular tournament that's challenging, you know, just the energy and keeping your energy up throughout the day, the long days, or is it the intensity and the, um, I guess, you know, sometimes, sometimes the combativeness of a blitz event, which one is, is easier for you, more challenging for you, your preference, maybe you don't have one. How do you feel about blitz versus longer time controls in terms of the Uh, TD's perspective? Yeah, I find being a floor TD for blitz tournaments to be rather challenging. Um, I used to be more intimidated by it than I am now, but it, it, yeah, people do get heated. People do get in the moment. You have to make those ruling decisions pretty quickly because the expectation is you keep things moving. Um, so yeah, I, I find those, I find floor directing those to be the hardest. Um, Backroom directing them is easy. I mean, I can turn those around very quickly, um, turn the rounds around very quickly. Um, Yes, right. I I guess I should have quantified floor TD, right? I mean, in in blitz versus um, standard, I suppose probably the the work of the backroom is uh, not all that different, I would guess, other than, of course, length of time. You know, and, and I suppose in a blitz event, there is some pressure to get the rounds out quickly, right? To generate there, that there, sparing. 
Yeah, you want to turn it around quickly. Usually the number of players is small enough um, that you can turn it around quickly. Although I I have also done um, Blitz at, I've, I've backroom directed Blitz one or two times at Nationals. I'm trying to remember. I know I did it in Indianapolis a couple of years ago for the National Junior High. I remember that. Okay. Um, and you know, that's, that's also manageable, but again, you know, you just, you want to turn it quickly. There's, there's usually some kind of people are either either to get revenge, eager to get revenge for their most recent loss, or, you know, you've got a bunch of kids at a national event who you want to get to bed because they've got to get up and play chess the next morning. You know, you, you want to, you want to be very, you want to keep it going. So, yeah. Um, and as far as as far as uh, challenge, challenging events, um, Scholastic Nationals—that's that's really where I got a lot of my experience on rulings, and right. and those are those are really like marathons. Um, yes, those are those <laughs> I think are that's very a good long days, as we as we know, and. Um, and I guess in a lot of ways at, you know, 600 plus players, our, our state K to eight is also like that. It's a long day right. and there are a lot of rulings. Um, I can direct my Evanston tournaments, which routinely have 54 players. I can go two or three tournaments without having anybody ask for a ruling. Sure. Um, and at a national scholastic or even the state scholastic, you're going to get called over to the board a lot more. So, right, you, you probably how, can't even get learn. through a third of a round without <laughs> without having a ruling, right? Exactly, exactly, and and that's you know I I encourage people who are learning how to do this and interested in doing this to uh, you know go work big scholastic events wherever you can because that's where you're going to be with other TDs. You're going to learn how other people work, you know, things that you wouldn't learn just directing your own little Swiss in your neighborhood week after week after week. Um, you're going to see how other people do it. You're going to have your rulings appealed. You're going to have them overturned. And that's all good stuff. That's all learning. So, right. yeah. What was the first ever national event that you ventured out and, and, and worked? The first national event I got called up at the last minute. Let me, I want to make sure I get the date right. It would have been, was it 2009 or 2008? There was a super nationals. It would have been the odd years, 2009. Okay. So 2009, I think I was still, a club TD? Huh. I'm a little surprised at that. I would have thought it would have taken my local test by then, but I think I was still a club TD. Um, and Glenn Panner had an enormous section of 400 players, and I guess they had already staffed it, and someone dropped out at the last minute. So he suggested that I get invited as a floor TD, and I brought my daughter with and was she playing she, age at that time or just as a, as a guest and observer type thing? She was playing age and okay. she actually, she, she played in, in one of the middle school, middle school or high school sec sections Okay, at the time. So, 
so yeah, we roomed together and I directed and I learned just how long a day it is. <laughs> it can be a very long day. Though. Yeah. Some of yeah, those events, is. you know, um, as, as I now attend all of them, I, mm-hmm. I am amazed at, uh, you know, just the length of the rounds and the ability and the resiliency of the players and the kids to get through that, that day. And it's just fascinating and it's exciting to watch it, in, in my opinion. It is very exciting. There, there is, there is an energy about it right. that carries everybody through the event. Um, as a parent, having brought my kids to a couple of those, um, and also to state, uh, you, my advice to parents is you really have to manage and manage your kids and maintain a routine and have downtime and, make sure they get fed, you know, your, your, your role as a parent in those things is not to coach your kids. It's to do all the things moms and dads do, (laughs) you know, food, sleep, uh, vegging out, uh, quiet, (laughs) you know, they, they just, some of them just get way overstimulated. Right. Truly are like the the support figure, right? (laughs) I mean, you've got to do all Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, everybody, everybody's kind of riding on that energy. And I don't know about you, but I find when I get home on the <laughs> Monday after a two or three day event, yep. I need a full 24 hours to recover. I think that's um, true. I think that's true for everybody who works one of those, you know, that you just, you got to have that recovery yeah. day, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You I, don't I, even realize it when you're in the moment. <laughs> but then, no, no. Yeah, as it, it as it winds down, it all kind of comes in and comes at you. You know, I, I call it adrenaline letdown. You know. You, oh, that's a good. Yeah, that's good. I like. Yeah, that. you've you've used the adrenaline and you've used it and you've used it and then all of a sudden it stops and you are a human wet noodle. <laughs> yeah, that is also a great. You know what? That is exactly the image in my head of what I feel like after one of those events. <laughs> The human, I am the human wet noodle after, you know, Scholastics, uh, Elementary Nationals in, um, in Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. I bet Boyd can relate to that, too. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. He's going <laughs> to, Director of Events Boyd Reed, uh, I, I bet he would also appreciate the human wet noodle characteristic. characteristic. <laughs> yeah. That, that's what we feel like, you know, it's just. It is. It is. Yeah. 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 So, but it's, it's still fun and I still oh, like absolutely. doing it. Yeah. yeah. And, uh. Yeah, and I've been I've been a section chief at a couple of times at nationals, and I've been a pairing chief in the back room mm-hmm. several times, and then back room chief for the K to six one year. So great. So yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> Merritt, I I have to ask. Um, what is your, I, I know there's a story here waiting in the wings, and I don't know if it's related to this event or another one, but what was your favorite event ever to play at, a, at or direct? And I know that part of that question involves the auxiliary activities that happens at those events, right? You know, it's not just the event itself, but sometimes it's <laughs> what's related or what's on the periphery. Right. Okay. So two, I, I have two answers to that question. My favorite event ever to work at was the 2017 U.S. Open in Norfolk. Okay. Um, that was the best time I ever had working as a TD. Um, I was backroom chief, 
And that the beauty of, of the U.S. Open is everybody is there. You know, um, right. lots of players, lots of people I knew from all over the country, people I had met on the U.S. Chess Forum, uh, people show up for the delegates meeting, even if they're not playing. Um, and the whole event runs in a very, I don't know, I, for me, compared to some of the scholastic events I had worked at, I found the schedule to be very stately. <laughs> you yes, know, right. um, one, one or, you know, it is running multiple schedules. That's a little complicated. But um, when you get toward the end of the actual U.S. Open, you're only running one round a day. Yeah. And so there is time to be social and, you know, take a break and go out for dinner. And Norfolk was absolutely terrific in terms of being a walkable town where you could easily go and find some interesting food or spend some time on the waterfront. It was mm -hmm. great. Terrific time. So, you know, when we get past our current shelter in place quarantine and there's a chance to go to the U S open, I really encourage people to do it. It's a great chess trip. Yeah. Really nice time. So, um, but I think the other event you're referring to, um, <laughs> I want to say, it was either the 2016 or the 20, it must have been the 2016, yeah, the 2016 K to 12. And okay. this was down in, um, down at the uh, Gaylord Opryland in, uh, in Nashville. And I'm trying to remember, I think I had, I think I was in the back room for that one. Glenn Panner, I think was chief TD. Okay. And, I may be wrong. You'd have to fact check me on this, but it may be the first time that Glenn was chief TD of a national scholastic, which is a fairly big deal in a TD's it career. Is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so he, and so we, we, a bunch of us, when the rounds would be over in the evening, there is a place off property um, where we would go and, eat and have a beer or two and listen to live country music and watch people country dance. Now, this is the place, uh, if I can set the stage a little bit, right off of the Gaylord Opryland's property, correct? Correct. I think it's so, called the Nashville Palace. Yes. I think that's right. And just to set the stage a bit more, so the Gaylord Opryland, for our listeners who haven't been there, is essentially this massive, modern, all-inclusive resort it's a beautiful property mm -hmm. absolutely beautiful um you know uh i, I think it's a five-star hotel the interior of the of the hotel has uh literally a a full boy what's the right word to to describe this as Ar arborarium maybe i mean well there's they're, live they're tree. atrium they're atrium, atriums yes. and yeah each one of them is meticulously gardened and right. i've i've even spent some time talking to the gardeners you know i mean they yeah have, i mean you really feel like there yeah mm -hmm. you feel more like you are in a um like a biodome or a mm -hmm. the or a botanical center almost i mean it's absolutely stunningly beautiful and it, mm -hmm. and as soon as you walk off property this meticulously curated that's that's exactly right um five star resort property you encounter the Nashville Palace, which is essentially a country dive bar. 
right? <laughs> like that's that's what it is. Well, that serves nice, hot dogs nice, as well. It's a nice country dive bar. It's a family country dive bar, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I apologize for interrupting, but I, for our listeners who haven't been there, I just sort of wanted to set that stage a little bit. You, you absolutely okay. have to set the stage, yeah. and 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 that's the contrast. And it, it's right. it's actually for those of us who are in in that sort of hot house atmosphere you know, the intense chess atmosphere, it's nice to get off property in the evening and, and relax and, you know, see some, see some live music, you know, in a group. Um, So we went over there and as we're going in there, we passed by an inactive mechanical bull. (laughs) And Glenn says to us, he says, if, Everybody does well, and this tournament goes well. I will ride that mechanical bull. <laughs> you know, it's um, funny because this is such a Glenn thing to do, and you and I both know Glenn. And I, I, yeah. I Glenn is definitely going to be on the show for the TD season. Maybe I'll even try and see if I can get him up next, so he can tell his side of the mechanical bull story. <laughs> he can tell me, yeah, he can tell this side. And, um, but well, what ended up happening was it turned out that Nashville Palace wasn't running the mechanical bull at that time, it was just sitting there. Um, um mm-hmm. and they were fixing to return it to somebody. So that ended up being a bet that had, because we, of course, did fabulously the tournament came off flawlessly so you know we all decided you know instigated by especially donna wallach um a fellow (laughs) pd friend of mine that that glenn glenn needed to honor his bet so that did happen (laughs) at a later point um elsewhere in nashville during another tournament that really a a mechanical bill bull was was ridden by glenn (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So I have to ask, did he stay on the bull? Uh, You know, everybody stays on briefly, right? Right, right. (laughs) I mean, don't you have to make it for like eight seconds or something? No, 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 no. We, we, We did not. We did not add any stipulations to it. All, all he had to do was, was climb on that and give it a try. And did you find a cowboy hat for him to wave around while he was doing it? Um, I'm gonna let Glenn. I'm gonna let Glenn describe that experience from there. I think he, he, he might have some funny stories he wants to to add to that. But okay. yeah, yeah, it happened. So wow. it, it was it was it was a good it was a good bet and all in all in good fun and uh, and yeah, um, it's a wonderful place to go and and see some music and watch people who are country dancers do their thing. You know. Right. Have you ever been line dancing yourself? No, I have not. Um, but I, I don't think this was line dancing. I think this might have been more couples, but I, okay. I can't quite remember. I just okay. remember that there were people wearing, even like some little kids who were wearing, I remember a like young young lady, like 13 or 14, dancing with somebody who could have been her grandfather, you know, mm. so it's just, it's it's like an art, so. Very cool. Yeah, I, I've I've also attended the Nashville Palace, and my experience sounds very similar to to what you're describing. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Merritt, I'm a little curious. One of the things that you mentioned, um, sort of in our pre-show chat, was that you your work as a TD 
led in part to a decision to sort of change careers. Am I, am I describing that correctly? You are. It was, it was a piece of my decision to, to change careers. Um, for years and years and years, um, like over 30 years, I was a self-employed graphic designer and, and production person mm. for print work and for websites. Um, and I was used to working alone a lot of the time. For a lot of my career, I worked from home on my own, which meshed very well with being a parent, by the way. Is this um, where the um, show me how to do that thing on the computer comes in? Uh, yeah, that was actually very instrumental in how I, you know, I started doing that when I was about 18 or 19 and, and it grew to the point when, where instead of using my journalism degree to be a journalist, I ended up, you know, going into, um, graphic design and production, mostly production, but, but also a fair amount of design, um, so yeah, I had done that for four years, part part of a business partnership for about twelve years, and then about you know after that, after about nineteen ninety two, on my own, um, and you know it toward like starting in about two thousand and one, I began working with people in chess and working as a TD and doing a lot of problem solving and and event planning you know, and, and organizing for chess and, and learning that I was pretty good at problem solving and running events and creating, being observant and creating a good atmosphere for people. And, um, you know, and, and, and the problem solving too, um, with being a tournament director, uh, really helped me identify strengths that, that I hadn't, necessarily realized that I had, you know, I, I, I see myself as an introvert and I think that's still right. I get most of my energy from, from within, you know, um, but I do have the ability to, to help and to intervene for good and do things like that. So I decided in, Oh, let's see. When was it I started school? I decided in early 2017 that I was going to look into getting my master's in social work um, with with the idea of becoming a therapist. And um, I have pursued that at Loyola University in downtown Chicago. And I've got summer semester to go and then I'll have my MSW. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I'm almost there. Two more classes. Um, And I'm currently working as an intern therapist at a counseling center in downtown Chicago, okay. although we're not working in downtown Chicago right now. We're all working on uh, uh, face-to-face over the internet sessions with our clients. But right. uh, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been very, I have found that I, it, it's work I have a calling for and uh, you know, that all of the judgment that I've built and kind of customer service that I built, you know, in, in solving problems for people in my graphic design business and in, in their marketing problems and also in, you know, the customer service side of being a tournament director and organizer right. and making things run smoothly, you know, that has come to play um, in, has been transferable to what I'm doing in social work now. So, so yeah. Um, 
it's all of a piece. And, you know, the social work now is also giving me a little bit more insight into what's going on with people when they're competing. So and dealing with the pressures of running events and all of that. So, yeah. You know, it's fascinating how sometimes a hobby or, or passion or just something you're interested in like chess can sort of almost in a way act as a mirror. I don't know if that's the right term or a canvas where you begin to see things in yourself, you know? Oh yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Um, I don't think there's a chess player or anyone involved in this game who doesn't, it, who doesn't have the experience of having that, you know, themselves reflected back in ways that are both complimentary and sometimes not so complimentary. So yeah, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so, um, you know, that that's another thing that you had mentioned in your in our pre-show chat, this idea of a tournament director really as a customer service job. Um, and in terms of interacting with, you know, it's, it's sort of weird in a way to think of players as customers, right? But mm-hmm. but I think you're right. Could you elaborate just a little bit on that and, and, and how you sort of came upon that theory or idea? Really two ways I came on that idea. One was um, when I first started directing the Evanston tournaments and also when I was directing and sort of being involved in the organizing of those large scholastics we do in Evanston, I started conceptualizing a chess tournament as a party. And when <laughs> you are, no, seriously. No, I'm, I'm are, laughing because I agree, actually. Yeah, you're yeah, right. When, when you are hosting a party, mm-hmm. you probably don't get to eat very much. You don't get to drink. Um you don't really necessarily get to socialize a lot with people. You are there to make the party great for everybody who's there. And it's a very rewarding thing to have people come up to you at the end and say, Hey, you know, I really enjoyed myself. That went really well. And, you know, that happens because, um, whoever was organizing or directing was attentive and was on the ball and was paying attention and was being intentional about all sorts of things that make a tournament run well, you know, like the rounds being on time and um, people being quiet and being available when a hand goes up and all these things that we do that people don't think about until they need them. The other piece of that was just, Working with Glenn, you know, I've, I've organized, he, I've co-organized with him, I've directed with him, um, co-organized, I think our biggest event that we've co-organized has been the U.S. Amateur Team North. I think we've done right. that together now three years. And that's been, um, been growing quite a bit. It has been, yes. I think we, we go actually managed to go over 100 teams this year. I think maybe we did. It was, if not, it was pretty darn close. Um, and he's, he is very attentive to the details and very much about the customer service and being available to talk to people, um, when they have problems or concerns. Um, so yeah, uh, I've, I've learned a lot from him in, in that regard. Um, so, you know, if, if I had advice for somebody who's just learning 
well, just starting to organize tournaments, you know, be, be accessible. Um, if you're yeah. sitting around between rounds and you're surrounded by a bunch of friends at your TV table, you know, make sure that you see that person who's standing off at the distance and really has a question for you, but doesn't know whether they can interrupt, you know, right. um, be, be, be cognizant that not everybody feels like they know you and can approach you easily. So. Yeah. You know, I, I, I agree. Always as a player, I found Glenn very approachable. And that's, would you mm -hmm. consider him sort of your, your mentor for these major events? I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've, you know, I've been very fortunate in having a lot of mentors. Glenn is one of them. Uh, Jeff Wewell is another. Uh, my friend Tom Sprandle, who I've mentioned, is another. Right. Tom Doan, of course, who, you know, taught me how from zero how to use pairing software and mm -hmm. you know always egged me on i i would we would have missing players at the top of an unrated scholastic section and i'm like oh man i don't want to i don't want to fix this and he'd say you know just ladder the players up why don't you do that <laughs> <laughs> i can't do that right. you know so i yeah i've had a lot of people mentor me and you know oh another one is joe young joe young taught mm -hmm. me all sorts of tricks he's he's been backroom chief for countless scholastics and he knows he has forgotten more about doing that job than i will ever know so <laughs> i i i would i would encourage any TD who's starting out, you know, find yourself a mentor or two or three or four who, who can teach you some things, who's done more than you have, who has done different things than you have had. And, you know, you might do things the same way or you might not. So, right. Yeah. But at least you'll know. Right. Well, fantastic. I think, you know, I think that's great advice, especially for um, TDs who are interested in, in following a, a similar path, you know, of working and, and promoting chess. Merritt, there was one final topic I really wanted to touch on because I have to admit, I think you and I are very similar in this vein. Um, and I'm curious to hear your experience with it. I have a quote here from you that says, and I, I hope you don't mind me quoting you, quote, I am a chess puzzle freak, end quote. I love it. So, so tell me a bit about that. I, I have a few follow-up questions, but I'm curious, you know, uh, I'm curious to hear more about, about your chess puzzle. Um, I don't know the right adjective here. Freakness, let's say. Well, you know, it's like anything else in chess. It, it started out small and kind of grew until it was <laughs> out of hand, perhaps. Um, no, not really. Um, okay, you know the yellow chess puzzle book that the kids have. Yes. Okay, the chess tactics. Chess book. tactics for students, I think. Is that the name of it? Am I thinking something name like it? that? Yeah. It's 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 a yellow book. It's a relatively large format. There's six puzzles on each page. Right. I worked my way through that one, and then from there, I was at a CCA tournament one time and bought a better book, or not better, but more complicated puzzle book um, mm. and spent a lot of time with that one. And then chess.com of course had tactics trainer right. and I started doing tactics trainer puzzles and you know, 
it's how I unwind, <laughs> which I know sounds really crazy, but you know, well, yeah. I mean, if you can plug your brain into just solving a problem, then it's not plugged into anything else, right? Exactly. It's, it's very relaxing. It's very good for my game. Um, you know, I, I can be serious about it and I can be frivolous about it. It's one of those areas where you don't have to worry too much about your rating. If it goes down, it'll go back up. Right. Um, and it's also something I always try to do a little bit before I play. Like if I go, pl particularly if I play a long time control tournament, like if I go play at one of the CCA tournaments, mm -hmm. I will, I will make sure every in the morning before I play my first round, I do 10 or 15, 20 puzzles. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. to sharpen, sharpen the mind. Just to get the tactics moving. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I've done somewhere north of 65,000 tactics on chess.com. Wow. So. <laughs> I, I'm curious, have you ever dabbled in, I don't even know if they exist anymore, but they did um, sort of around the time you were getting into chess. They were really big from maybe like 2005 to 2011. The chess-based Christmas puzzle challenge. Have you have you heard of that? Have you ever messed with any not, of those? Not heard of it. Not messed with it. Um, nope. Nope. <laughs> so these are, if, if you're a chess puzzle freak, I'm just going to throw it out there for you and our listeners and, and anyone who wants to go check them out. Um, the essential idea is that they're, they're very unique and sometimes weird compositions that um, computers can't solve. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So like, for example, um, there will be uh, one of the ones that really sticks out in my memory was a self-mate. Uh, I don't know if you if you've ever encountered or solved a self-made problem. Oh yeah, I, you know, <laughs> I, I've heard of them. Um, I don't know. I think I'm very, I'm very much of a. I have a very narrow idea of what's an acceptable. <laughs> I, so these might that. just be like uh, completely blasphemous in a way, right? <laughs> yes, the one, the ones with like twelve white pawns on one board. Yeah. yeah. There are, I mean, there are some, I guess I would describe them more as more traditional problems in these puzzle challenges. Um, okay. And they're, they're very interesting. You know, they all have like a theme. A lot of times the, the, the puzzle MC, if you will, uh, will give you a hint. You know, it's usually a famous uh, player who will, who will submit some of the puzzles and sort of give you a hint or, or maybe the hint is a hidden subtle hint, you know, like in their introduction. Um, so they're kind of fun. They're kind of cool. And, what made me think of it is, you know, you talked about the zoning out and relaxing and just kind of plugging into the puzzle and, and unplugging from everything else. And mm -hmm. I, that really strikes a note with me, you know, that really uh, sounds like, yeah, you know, that's, <laughs> that's exactly right. That's, that's what happens when I, when I solve those. And the chess-based Christmas puzzle ones, especially, I feel that way about. Oh, really? Even yeah. though they're weird, they're still yeah. like... Cause you yeah. just, you can think about that and all these weird ideas, you know, and, and the next thing, you know, you're just like, Oh, you know, all my troubles are gone. <laughs> just <laughs> Instead of those, I'm just thinking about, you know, how, how on earth I'm going to try to pull off this helpmate in four or whatever it might be. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's certainly good for, you know, I had absolutely no tactical instincts. What, so ever because I started 
when I started getting back into chess in my late thirties, you know, when my kids were young and, right. you know, you're not, you don't have tactical. Well, I don't at least develop tactical instincts instantly. Right. Yeah, you got to work on it. I think, I think you, you, you got to work on it. And it turned out that working on it was, was pretty enjoyable. And, you know, I have some favorite patterns and, um, you know, a high point of course is when you manage to do the, uh, sacrifice your queen and then do a smothered mate with your knight in an actual online game. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And then you feel really thrilled about playing that queen G8 or whatever the move may be, right? Like, <laughs> right. Yes, yeah, yeah. I used that one. I, I applied that one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That'll come in handy someday. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> so Merritt, you, you've sort of already given a couple pieces of advice, which I thought were great, but I'm asking all my guests before we conclude our, our, our interview since this season we're talking about tournament life and life at tournaments and tournament directors, do you have any you know parting words of wisdom or advice for um, people who may be you know interested in any aspect of organizing, promoting, directing that you might want to leave with our listeners? Um, you do it because you enjoy doing it. And because you want to be engaged with the players in that way and participating in that way, you know, be, be willing to be willing to be attentive and be, you know, engaged in what you're doing as a director and, or an organizer. That would be, that would be my main encouragement and just learn as much as you can from as many people as you can. Um, because there's not a manual for this. Right. Uh, there's the rule book, right? Um, and we are now starting, U.S. Chess is starting to develop some teaching materials. And, of course, Tim Just has a lot of terrific columns about the rules and whatnot. But really the way we've all learned how to do what we do is by teaching each other. Um, right. yeah. And that goes that goes on, that continues you know you can get five ntds together and put a pairing down in front of them and get at least three different answers of how to make <laughs> the pairing right so right. yeah um it's it's a subjective thing but uh and there's you know it's like life there there isn't necessarily one good answer there are maybe several ways that work i think so. that is spot on and and i appreciate your insight there and i, I hope our listeners will too so thank thank you Merritt, for coming on with me and sitting down and um, talking about your experience and your life uh, i think it's been fa fa fascinating for me and um fun and i i hope you enjoyed uh participating on the chess underground Pete, thank you for inviting me. It was it was great talking to you, and uh, I, I definitely when I put together my next uh, high rated eight person yes. round robin, <laughs> yes. two, you are on the invite list. Great, sir. awesome! I'm excited. <laughs> That'll be fun. I you know I haven't done a blitz round robin in a long time, so I, I would love to do that. That sounds fun. yeah, yeah. Those those are great. So. Well, Thanks excellent. again. You're welcome. Stay safe, and I will catch you hopefully soon at the next Nationals we work together. Sounds good. Take care, Mary. Thanks. Bye. From a distance. Wow. Tactical.
Thank you for listening to the Chess Underground, a U.S. chess podcast. Please check out our entire suite of podcasts, which release every Tuesday, and include Ladies' Night with Jim Shahad, as well as Chess Life cover stories and One Move at a Time with Dan Lucas. U.S. Chess would like to thank Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media for our podcast production and editing. If you are starting your own podcast, visit www.7seasonfilms.com for consulting, production, and editing. Until next time, signing off, Pete Karyanis. Determination.